0: The scripture lesson this morning is from Philippians, fourth chapter, the first through the ninth verses. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown so stand fast in the Lord beloved. I implore, Eudodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the Book of Life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus finally brethren whatever things are true whatsoever things are noble Whatever things are just, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good and are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Thus ends the lesson for this morning. May God bless it to our hearts. Please join me in prayer.
1: Lord of all goodness, give us more Jesus. Help us to remember that nothing we desire compares with you. Lord, may my words exalt you. May your spirit breathe in us new life and new ways of understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's always a pleasure for me to come to this corner. Whenever Curtis emails me and says, would you mind preaching? I just go, oh, I hope I don't have anything going on. Because there's something about this place. And I know that you all feel it because as soon as I hit the parking lot, I knew I was here. I don't know what it is. I think it is God, but there's something about this place. So thank you so much for having me again. Have you ever done a search on YouTube? Anybody? I'm sure most of you have. Um, Working as a youth pastor at Wasatch Presbyterian Church, I have done my share of YouTube searches. Watching silly animals, cute kids, childish adults, endearing and inspirational videos. One night while working on a youth conference in Colorado, I was sitting with some colleagues late at night and we were sharing all the videos that we had used in ministry or silly things that we had seen. And one of my most respected mentors in ministry A very tall man with a very deep voice, who's usually quite soft-spoken until he preaches, he kind of looked at me sideways and he said, Amy Kim, you look at such holy things. Kind of startled, I looked at him and I said, well, what do you look for? And he said, quietly, church fights. What? I said, church fights, really? Well, immediately he proceeded to show me what comes up when you YouTube church fights. When you do that search on YouTube, you get this, about 187,000 results. Video after video of church folks out of their minds, hollering and many times throwing a punch right there in the middle of worship. It's crazy. On one hand, it's hilarious. Yes, totally over the top and easy for me to write off those people as crazy and out of control. You see, in my Presbyterian tradition, we pride ourselves on a phrase that comes out of the first book to the Corinthians, that calls believers to do everything decently and in order. Boisterous church fights would not behoove our sense of order. Instead, what I have witnessed, and at times admit I have been a part of, is a more covert way of dealing with our issues. Now, I'm sure my Baptist brothers and sisters here do not conduct themselves in such a way, but just maybe, maybe, you can relate. Some church folks are masters of manipulation, and can spend an awful lot of time working on their side, trying to get their way. And don't get me wrong, we believe that it is what God wants. We're fighting over things that are important and we believe it is best for the church. But sometimes we forget that we are a part of the kingdom and these arguments can veer us away from what we are ultimately called to do. You see, when we look at this passage from this letter from Paul to the community in Philippi, his usual greeting has an addition. He chooses this moment to highlight, or I would say call out, two people, Euodia and Syntyche. Word had gotten back to Paul, and he was aware of this situation, whatever it was, and that the community at large was aware, and he chooses to call it out. So imagine this scene with me. The letter has arrived, the community gathers, eagerly anticipating an inspirational word and direction from their leader. These two women are there, I imagine, probably not sitting next to one another, but they're all there with the gathered community. Imagine their surprise when the letter is read and on the first page it mentions not only the conflict but mentions them by name. It reads, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm, thus in the Lord my beloved. And then get this one. I'm sure they were so excited to hear this. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, how many of you would really like to be those two women in the midst of this community? But I think it's pretty amazing that it's actually mentioned, because I think it calls to conversations that will happen over and over again in the church when we need to be called out. The reality is that whatever the conflict, and no matter how small it may have started, it was now infecting and affecting the community to the point of making its way to Paul, and he thought it needed to be addressed. Paul calls it out in the middle of community and follows it up with... Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I like this line. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. He's highlighting it for these women, but he's using this opportunity to speak to everyone. They need to remember their reasonableness, that the Lord is at hand. Commentaries will say that these women were probably leaders within the community and that it speaks to the importance of their need for resolution. And I think that's true, but see, there is a responsibility that comes with following Jesus Christ. And I believe this passage highlights how important responsibility is when it comes to conflict. Unattended conflict is toxic. When we claim Christ as Lord and Savior, it has the power to get in the way of people's view of God and the love of Christ that we proclaim. I know as I say these words, we can all sit here and calmly agree that this is the case, but when we are frustrated, many times we choose to let those frustrations fester and our lesser nature rules our hearts instead of Christ ruling our hearts. Are you with me? Do you hear our call to deal with conflict as soon as we can, especially when it comes to the community we call church? Don't wait and try to wear the other party down or try to get our posse to help fight battles and be on our side. And by no means should we get to the point of throwing punches like I saw on the YouTube video. I know you'll be looking it up later today. Hear these words again. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things think about that practice these things not just do them we need to practice them but you know we're not just called to stop there yes how we interact and foster community in the church as a community of believers is extremely important but you know once we leave this community each week I see you all bless one another to take Christ's light out into the world well, we're supposed to do that. It's not just something we do at the end of the service. Anyone feel the weight of what has happened in the state of Utah this week? This past week, marriage equality, holy moly and praise God, what a thing to celebrate. Some of you were at the celebration. I had to read about it and hear from friends who were present. Young, old, city leaders, defendants, gay, straight, questioning, all were there to celebrate what had happened. The joy and deep sigh of relief was palpable. But you know what was missing? A strong presence of counter-protest. Has anyone thought of that? We know we live in a community and culture that is not all on the same page when it comes to marriage equality. Whenever a decision like this that is so public and folks feel so passionate, there is always a losing side. But I believe so much of the energy that folks had on this side has been influenced by the way those for marriage equality has chosen to conduct themselves during this conflict. I believe this is why there was a peaceful celebration on Library Square on Monday. There's a real goodness in that and I believe it is because of the the presence of peace was the goal. Now we still have a responsibility to these conversations. To continue to approach these conversations in peace with attention to show Christ's love and grace. In Paul's words, to practice these things, not just to believe in them, but to practice them. And when you feel your frustrations with folks on any of the other sides you are on boil up, remember this plea to the Philippians, and do not forget the work of the Spirit. It is because of the work of the Spirit that we can believe that unity is possible I really don't believe that there is an aspect of our life that doesn't apply to this passage. Our relationships at work, at home, in the community, we need to be believers that reflect these practices. Now I'm going to read you a little story from one of my favorite books, The Sneeches. I'm sorry that I don't have the book to show you, but just imagine. It's called The Zachs. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prax came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped, there they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zax said. I say, you are blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax and I always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. Who's in whose way, snapped the south-going Zax. I always go south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move and let me go south, in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zax puffed up his chest with pride. I never, he said, take a step to one side. And I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zax, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years. For I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in south-going school. Never budge. That's my rule. Never budge in the least. Not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging. I can and I will if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the whole world didn't stand still. The world grew, and in a couple of years, the new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn Zaks and left them there standing unbudged in their tracks. Isn't this a timeless story? What I appreciate about this story is the lesson it illustrates. What happens while they are stuck in the conflict? The world keeps moving on. When we think of this as believers in Christ, we need to be aware that God keeps moving even if we're not budging. Not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. While we hold on to our side, we miss life that has continued to be transformed around us. You see, as believers, we know the power of the resurrection. So let us be bold in holding on to the promise of resurrection. In the words of Frederick Buechner, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Let me say that again. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. To live resurrection now, today, this hour is to live immersed in a life of wonder and joy. Resurrection is a word of transformation. It is not just about life after death. It is not just about being raised from the dead. Resurrection is about living today a life that is transformed, renewed by the power of Jesus Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit. Anybody familiar with Gaither's gospel songs? There's an old song that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worthy in living just because he lives. Resurrection means it is possible for you and for me to be transformed more and more day by day into the likeness of Christ Paul writes for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul could say this because he knew that none of these things was the last thing. No matter the struggle, no matter the pain, no matter the conflict, God always has the final word. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Let us all live into the promise of God's grace through Jesus Christ who is capable of walking us through any and every conversation and conflict we could imagine, and even those we never thought possible. Let us be people of hope. Amen.